All right. My name is Levi. I'm the family pastor here, I'm doing the youth and the kids thing. And today we are in the book of Philemon. What's up, Jordan? I feel like I've given everybody else a shout out in the youth, but I haven't you yet because you're new. What's up, Jordan? Um, yeah, we're having a great time in youth this morning. We're all together playing games, having a good time, and talking about uh, the story of the prodigal son. Um, and it was really a blessing, I think, uh, learning about forgiveness, which is what we're going to talk about today. So they get sort of a, a teaser beforehand, and I think maybe it even helps them, prepares them at least for what's coming here now. All right. Okay, let's pray together quickly. Quickly, and then we'll get started. Lord, may the words of my mouth and meditations of all our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. May this be about you, and if needed, cast me to the side, that you be honored and glorified and lifted up to your proper place. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, is there anyone that you're struggling with right now? Don't look around. Okay. (laughs) Now we're all... Right. Or is there anyone that maybe you've forgiven uh, that's never, that didn't deserve the forgiveness? Or have you ever wanted forgiveness yourself and, and you went to go and receive it, but it wasn't given to you? Um, if that is you, then a sermon series that won't be consecutive, as Pastor James already mentioned, it'll be once this month, once the next, and once the month after that. So I'll just have to repeat half the sermon every single time. No, no, I won't, I won't do that. I'll, I'll trust your memory um, to, to a certain degree. But, <laughs> but uh, we're going to be in the book of Philemon, which does talk about forgiveness, which is what we're going to talk about. Um, and it's really an interesting topic, forgiveness is, because it's actually not practiced in our, in our culture, in our society. Um, I, I, had, I have a very close friend um, who, who recently... Uh, went to go seek counseling, and it was a secular counselor, and this is not a bash against all counseling or secular counseling. It was just this particular case, and it was a conflict that this person was having um, with uh, their family. And in this particular case, that person was advised not to forgive, to hold it back. In fact, the counselor was saying, it would be wrong for you to forgive. And, and, and it's not just society, but I think uh, we ourselves can convince ourselves Based on what that person did to me, they don't deserve my forgiveness. I'm not going to give that to them. Because naturally, at least in our sinful nature, it feels kind of good to hold a grudge. It feels kind of good to say, okay, I'm not going to give that to that person. I'm not going to give that relief to them. I'm going to hold on to that. In fact, sometimes we get to the point where we're not just holding it back from them, but we're talking about them behind their back. And that feels good sometimes too. And we get to the point where we don't want the conflict at all, so we start to build up walls to the point where everyone around us thinks exactly like us, is just like us, is in the same walk of life as us because we're so worried about the conflict that everybody around us just starts to be the same as us, right? And that's not what the church looks like. Church is people from different walks of life, different parts of the world, different occupations, and we meet together every week. There's going to be conflict, Right? There's going to be someone offending someone else. It's going to happen. Some of us meet together more than once a week. Right? It's called missional family. We are bound to, it's going to happen. If it ain't happened yet, just letting you know, spoiler alert, you're going to get offended or you're going to offend somebody else. Right? It's going to happen. 
As much as that happens, what needs to be equally true is that we are a people of forgiveness, that we are eager and ready to offer that forgiveness. And that's what the book of Philemon is really all about. And just, just to caveat maybe the entire sermon series, as we're talking about forgiveness and what it means to forgive within a local body of believers, um, I, I totally understand how difficult it is. It's a difficult thing to forgive, especially for some of us, maybe there's been, years ago there's been abuse. And that is a difficult thing. Um, and I, I think that there's actually room, uh, Christ gives us room in the New Testament for forgiveness that leads to peaceful separation as opposed to peaceful reconciliation of the same exact relationship. However, um, in the context of Philemon, that's not what is being discussed. In Philemon, it is two brothers in Christ. One has offended the other, in fact, betrayed the other, and Paul is saying, hey, you need to get over there and reconcile with your brother in Christ for the sake of the mission of God. And that's, that's the context of Philemon. So it's this. It's us, right? It's between brothers and sisters in Christ that offend one another, and it's going to happen. So how do we respond? We respond with forgiveness. And really, all, all of Scripture, isn't it, is a story of forgiveness. It is a story of a people of God that need forgiveness and a God that is forgiving and offers that forgiveness. That's the Bible, right? That's the story of redemption. It's a story of forgiveness. But there's one little book, and I know we've already said what it is, one little book of Philemon where the topic of forgiveness is the entirety of it. And that's what we'll be walking through these next three months together. And I'm looking forward to it. We at Freedom Village Church, generally speaking, we like to walk through books of the Bible um, because if anything that I say that is opinion, hopefully what you get out of it actually is just the truth of God's word because that's what we want to preach. That's what we want to bring before you. So we're going to be walking. And actually, this, this, this season, you're going to get Second Peter and Philemon all in one season. And actually, I think you're going to start, okay, I'm going to let you do that. Oh, he gave me a look right then. He's like, go ahead. I, I ain't going to give it a name. No, 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 no. I, I ain't going to step into that territory. It might be another book that we're talking about soon. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, but the book of Philemon, what, what is it about? Well, it's the shortest book in the New Testament. Fun fact for you, uh, 335 Greek words. It's very short. If you ever find yourself in a Bible trivia game and you're coming up with questions, you'll win. And it was, it was written between 59 and 62 AD, which is about 30 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And, and we also know that the Apostle Paul, we know who that is, wrote 13 letters in the New Testament. He wrote this one. Uh, and he wrote it while he was in prison in Rome. And actually, he wrote four books while he was in prison in Rome. Um, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Philemon. And he wrote those while he was in prison in Rome. And Philemon, out of those four books, was the personal one of the four, as in they were addressed to one person, probably read aloud before a congregation, uh, but addressed to Philemon. And this dude, Philemon, that the book is addressed to, um, he was actually led to Christ by Paul. Paul led him to Christ. And Philemon, um, when the book was written and was delivered to him, it's years after he came to Christ, uh, through the testimony of Paul. 
So years later, he's receiving this letter. And by this time, Philemon is super solid in the faith. Like he is, in fact, he has in his house, there people meet in his house for church, right? People meet in his house. There's a gathering that meets in his house. Um, and, and he's discipling, and, and, and he's, he's a co-worker with Paul, and that's a, that's a word that's used here. However, um, he's a pretty... He's a pretty wealthy man, right? Big enough house for people to come in and meet in his house. And also he has slaves, which is a reality of the Greco-Roman world. And, and just another caveat, I suppose, since the entirety of the book of Philemon is about a relationship between a master and a slave. So I think it'd be helpful for us just to talk about what that means, right? Today, um, when we think of slavery, it is often at least the way we think of it, connected to ethnicity. And that certainly was the case in some places in the Greco-Roman world. However, not all cases. And in this particular case, um, or, okay, some cases, two reasons that you could become a slave. First, if you are in debt to someone, so let's say you owed them a bunch of money, um, and because of that, you're actually unable to pay that money. And so instead of paying off that person, you would come under them as a slave for however many years it would take to pay back that debt. Sometimes it would be for the rest of your life, all right? Another way that you could become a slave is if you choose to become a slave. Because some people in the free world, they would, it wouldn't be going so hot. So like, you know what, I'm gonna try to find a good family that needs someone to work for them. I'm gonna come under them and I'm going to help them. And a lot of times, um, a master would actually invite them into the family dynamic. Um, They they would love them as as if they were one of their own. Um, They would feed them. They would house them. I do not want to give the impression that this was always the case. Okay, it was not. Um, A lot of times, because I think sometimes when we do talk about slavery in Greco-Roman times, it could be the temptation as the church, as Christian people, to sugarcoat it a bit too much. And I don't want to do that um, because oftentimes it was an awful life, right, for, for a slave because they were, the person above them would exploit them however they want, Right, And that was definitely the case in some cases. However, we have no reason to believe that Philemon, that this was the case for Philemon and his slaves. Um, All that we know about Philemon is that he was a good man. In fact, Paul has nothing but good things to say about Philemon. Um, So so that's where we're at with that. But one day, Onesimus decided, you know what, Philemon? Deuces. I'm out. So he runs away. And in fact, as, as he's running away, There's even scholars that suggest that he took some money from Philemon. And if you were a slave that was caught running away from your master, it's a big deal in that time. But not not only was he a slave that ran away, he was a slave that stole from his master. So this was even a bigger deal. Like, at best, lifelong sentence in prison, and prison at that time ain't great. Um, And also, at worst, it'd be a death sentence for Onesimus. Right, so Onesimus runs away from Philemon, and he goes to the downtown city of Rome, and probably hiding among the masses, right? Trying to hide away. There's more than a million people in Rome trying to hide from um, anyone that might be looking for him or anything like that, but it just so happens that he runs into the apostle Paul. So the Apostle Paul, remember, he's the one that led Philemon to Christ, and Philemon became a disciple that makes other disciples because of the discipleship of Paul. Now he runs into Paul, and guess what? He became a disciple that makes other disciples because of the discipleship of Paul. Because what does Paul do? Paul just can't help it. He can't have a sentence without him talking about Jesus, 
right? And so, so he runs into Onesimus, and he starts to talk to him about Jesus. And, and Onesimus is led to Christ because of Paul's witness. Isn't that crazy? He led Philemon, his master, to Christ, and now he runs into Onesimus in the middle of Rome, leads him to Christ too. And, and, and months go by, and, and there's discipleship there, there's friendship there, and he becomes a co-worker in the faith. Onesimus does. And so during that time, Paul once again, is put into jail, <laughs> went to prison. And in prison, he pins a letter. And between the conversations between Paul and Onesimus, as, they're, as, as he's discipling Onesimus, he tells him, hey, listen, I know Philemon, your master. And I think now that you're brothers in Christ, you need to go back and you, to, you need to reconcile with him. And then, you know, Onesimus, you, he knows the law. He knows that if he goes back and he's caught with what he's done, Philemon has 100% all the right to say, no, you're dead. No one would bat an eye. So Onesimus, after hearing Paul say this, he's like, no. I mean, maybe, maybe. Okay, this, is, this is dramatic retelling. Okay, no. <laughs> maybe he said that. Um, but you could imagine being in Onesimus' place and that being a reality. You probably are a little hesitant. But Paul says, hey, listen, I'm going to write a letter to Philemon, and I'm going to encourage him because I led him to Christ. He looks up to me. I'm going to encourage him to forgive you. So he pins the letter of Philemon, as well as I, I believe the two books are Ephesians and Colossians at this time. Gives them to, um, what's his name, Onesimus and Tychicus, which is exactly how you pronounce that, and said, go and give that to the churches and then... Um, Lastly, give it to Philemon. And you can imagine the scene of Philemon seeing Onesimus approach him for the first time since he was betrayed, right? And, and, and as he walks up, you can just imagine the emotions uh, filling Philemon as, as he's seeing him approach. Maybe some bitterness, maybe some anger, maybe some, what's up, Onesimus? Why'd you do that? You stole my money, right? And, and, and as he approaches, he hands him the letter from Paul. And as he opens it, as Philemon opens it, he realizes that it's from the apostle Paul, the one that led him to Christ, the one that wrote 13 books, maybe not all of them at this point, but 13 books in the New Testament. The apostle Paul, and then he begins to read. And the first seven verses read like this. We'll read it again. Paul a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. So these first seven verses, we don't necessarily see anything about forgiveness. However, it's coming. And so in these first seven verses, we see Paul here preparing the heart of Philemon to receive the challenge to forgive Onesimus. And this is how he introduces uh, the letter. 
And before Paul exhorts Philemon to forgive Onesimus, he reminds Philemon of who he is, his identity. And so he says, and like in verse 5, because I hear about your love um, for the saints. I hear about your love for his holy people. I, and he says, and I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership, right, he's reminding him of who he is, every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. And your love has given me great joy. And he, and he continuously calls him a brother. He's reminding him of who he is. But even before that, before reminding uh, Philemon of who he is, before reminding him of his identity, he reminds him of who God is. He reminds him of the grace and peace given to Philemon from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and really, this is a standard introduction for Paul, but I think someone who is struggling to forgive, the reminder that God, through his forgiving nature, has given you grace and has given you peace is a helpful one. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Because as I've already mentioned, when we open the scriptures from beginning to end, it is a story of God's forgiveness towards a people who need his forgiveness. And God is a God of forgiveness. And that's the first point today. The question we're looking to answer, and I think the question that Philemon needed answered as Juanissimus first approaches him with the letter is, why forgive? Why do I need to forgive what he's done? And the first reason why we forgive, why Philemon needs to forgive, is because we, we are called to forgive because God is a God of forgiveness. In Exodus chapter 34, God identifies himself that way. In verse 6, it says, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, and so this is the Lord speaking of himself, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. So God's saying of himself, essentially, I am the God of forgiveness. That is, that's who I am. And because of that, we're told in Proverbs chapter 19, verse 11, it is a man's glory to overlook a transgression. And that's why Jesus emphasized forgiveness so much. We were just talking about the story of the prodigal son uh, with the youth. And, and you can recall the story. It's a story of a father who had two sons. And one of his sons is tired of being at home, so he says, deuces, pops, and he gets out. He leaves because he wants to take his inheritance and spend it on however he wishes. So he leaves. And he wastes his life. He wastes his father's money. And he reaches the lowest point in his life. And as a result, he's broken. And he desires to go back to his father. And what's interesting is that as he goes back, he isn't looking to be a son because he understands that is not the expectation. He doesn't even expect that. He doesn't expect the relationship to be renewed. He just wants some pity and some mercy. And he has some hope for those things. But what happens? As the son returns home, we see the father doesn't even wait for the son to get into the house. He ran to the son when he saw him in the distance. And his words were not unkind. It wasn't, I told you so. Not anything like that. Instead, he ran to the son when he saw him, and he kissed him. And he, and he fell into his son's neck. And this is the heart of our forgiving father. And that's how he wants us to forgive but we also see the importance of forgiveness and the fact that it's a foundational, foundational teaching point of Christ himself. 
right? When, he, when he's teaching how to pray in Matthew chapter 6, verses 11 through 12, he says, give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. We pray with a heart of forgiveness. And in Matthew chapter 18, um, Peter, he's asking the question, we're in 2 Peter right now, and he asks the question uh, of Jesus. He says, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Seven times? He says seven times? And of course, Jesus, and the reason he asked seven times is because the Pharisees of the time, they said, you should forgive your brother three times. That's the holy way. So Peter, he's like, I can four up you there. Seven times? And Jesus, of course, says, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. And 77 is a, it's a number of completion. So essentially what he's saying is, there's no end to it. As many times as you are sinned against, you offer forgiveness for that person. Right? And that is how Jesus teaches forgiveness, at least how many times we should be willing to forgive. But not only does Jesus teach that to Peter, but he shows that to Peter, doesn't he? Because we know Peter and Jesus had a close relationship. One of the uh, top friends, top three closest people to Jesus, Peter's one of them. But what did, what did Peter do when Jesus was in his most vulnerable time in his ministry on earth? He betrayed him. He denied him. And so, I mean, if that was me, I'd be like, here's a 15-page essay of why you've offended me, right? And here's what I want you to forget. This is what you need to do. But Jesus, how does he respond? One of, one of the first conversations they have after Jesus is resurrected, Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? He says it three times. And then after that, what does he say? Go and feed my sheep. He's reminding him, hey, listen, I know, you, I know what you've done to me. I'm still gonna use you. There's forgiveness there. There's restoration of that relationship. Because not only does he say, I'm gonna use you, but he is a big deal in church history, isn't he? Like he, he, he's foundational in the early church. So Jesus not only taught it, but he lived it. And that's who God is. We are called to forgive because God is a God of forgiveness. And just to stop, stop and define it for us for a second. Forgiveness, um, as, as we'll say it is, I mean, you could probably say this in different words. Forgiveness is to decide not to hold something against another, regardless of what he or she has done to you. It's a decision not to decide, not, it is a decision to, de- a decision to decide. Wow. It is a decision not to hold something against someone else, regardless of what he or she has done to you. And effectively, it's an act of dying to yourself. So, so we shouldn't be surprised when it hurts. In, in a relational conflict, it's, it's often the most real way we can demonstrate love. To die to self, we need a motivation more steadfast than our good intentions or fickle feelings. Just as Jesus' walk to the cross was intentional, grace-filled, and motivated by obedience to God's will, so too should our efforts to forgive be intentional. We shouldn't make our efforts to reconcile contingent on how we feel today or the circumstances we might find ourselves in, but instead we should make our decision to reconcile contingent on the character of God which is steadfast. He is forgiving, and he calls us to do the same. So not only is Paul reminding Philemon here, oh, I'm sorry, as Paul is preparing to challenge Philemon to forgive Onesimus, he first reminds him of who God is, 
and that through the forgiveness of God and his character, there is peace and mercy. That's how he introduced the book. But Paul also does something else in these verses. He reminds Philemon of who he is, as we've already mentioned. Paul, a prisoner of Jesus, Timothy, our brother, he's including Philemon in that, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, he's reminding him of who he is in Christ. Grace and peace to you from God, our Father, including Philemon again in that. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love, your faith in Christ, your partnership, the fact that we have a shared faith in Christ. He's reminding Philemon of who he is in Jesus Christ. So not only is Paul reminding Philemon that he worships a forgiving God and reminds him of the character of that God, but he also reminds Philemon of his identity in light of that. And as he prepares Philemon to receive the challenge to forgive, he reminds him that his identity is that of a true believer in that forgiving God. In other words, that he himself has been forgiven by that forgiving God. And that's the next motivation for forgiveness that we'll see today. We are called to forgive because we have been forgiven. Forgive just as you have been forgiven. And unanimously in the New Testament, it raises our forgiveness to those who sin against us to the level of God's forgiveness of our sins against him. And clearly God's forgiveness is now our standard, right? His forgiveness is our standard um, for our forgiveness of others. Um, In fact, there's no other standard for forgiveness in the Christian life. Maybe when I look this way, you guys are never gonna get my eyes again. So I'm gonna just go over here. Maybe maybe you like that, so you're gonna be snoozing. Over here, catch y'all. All right, I'll stop. Continue. Forgiveness. All right. Oh, I'm so easily distracted. Oh, forgive me. All right. God's forgiveness is our standard for how we should forgive. Um, in fact, it's the only standard for the Christian. His forgiveness of us is what we should consider as we are in the place to forgive others. Um, be kind to one. This is Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And then in Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 through 13. Put on then as chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Whenever we are sinned against, we must choose to remember the extent of which God has released us from our sins through the blood of his son. In addition, we must bring to mind, I believe also, uh, the wealth of spiritual blessings that God has given to us. And out of gratitude for what he has done for us, we extend that to others. We we extend that forgiveness uh, to others. And this, I believe, It guards our hearts against a bitter, vengeful spirit. So clearly, Jesus is saying, and throughout Scripture we can see, that our horizontal forgiveness of others is related to our vertical forgiveness from God. And this is what we should consider as we are in a place to forgive. We should be ready, we should be willing, we should be eager to forgive as we have been so forgiven. 
So, so first, we are called to forgive because God is a God of forgiveness. Secondly, we're called to forgive because we have been graciously forgiven by a forgiving God. And now thirdly, we are called to, thirdly, we are called to forgive because of our shared faith in Christ. Because of our shared faith in Christ. And Paul adds another concept here. He says, he uses the phrase sharing of your faith. Sharing of your faith. And it's actually better understood as your faith that pursues fellowship. And this isn't evangelism. Oftentimes we use those terms, sharing your faith, to to mean evangelism. Uh, But here it's something else. Um, It's fellowship with believers. So Paul is saying, Philemon, I hear of your desire for fellowship. And the word effective here means powerful. So, So Paul is praying for powerful fellowship in the life of Philemon. But, but here's the point. People of faith in Christ, those of us that belong to him, are people who deeply care about fellowship, deeply care about unity. This is the body of Christ. Uh, they are genuinely concerned about one another. They want to forgive because they don't want chaos in the gathering. And that's what Paul understands about Philemon. They want harmony. They want peace. They desire unity. So Paul says, listen, Philemon, I know Fellowship is important to you. Well, now Juanissimus is in this fellowship with you as well. And now Juanissimus is actually back with you. And you get a chance to show your love for that fellowship. He's now a Christian too. He's following Jesus. And he belongs to you not only as a slave, but as a brother. And you belong to him not only as a master, but as a brother. So treat him as such and forgive Put the gathering above yourself. Be more concerned about the body of Christ than you are about your own personal desires, your own comforts. And how do we do that? We're ready and we're eager to forgive when that time comes. Be more concerned with him. Be more concerned about the body than you are of your own personal desires and comforts. I'm gonna finish with how Paul started. And that's, that's as in how he titles himself at the beginning. Because I think it's, well, first of all, it should be talked about because it's unique to this letter. Uh, he calls himself, he says, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. And I really appreciated the prayer where you highlighted that title. A prisoner of Christ Jesus. And I believe he uses this title intentionally. And that's because out of the 13 books, I believe it's the only one um, where he uses this as his title. Most of the time, he uses the title um, an apostle of Christ Jesus. And um, because he wants them to get what he's saying and, and he wants to sort of, in a healthy way, use that authority to say, hey, listen, Jesus has given me this and so now I'm telling you through the authority of Jesus that you should follow what I'm saying, right? This is from God, essentially, right? Um, but here he's taking a different approach. He's appealing not to his authority. He's, a, he's appealing, and this is the tone you're going to see throughout the book of Philemon. We're going to talk about more of that next time, next, next month. We're going to talk about that. Um, but what he's doing here, he's appealing to him as a friend. He, he's saying, listen, I trust your character. And I'm asking you as a friend, as a brother in Christ, to do this thing that is good. But I think he's doing something else as well, using this title. Um, We know that Paul, when he's writing, is a prisoner in Rome, right? Literally. He's in in Rome. He's a prisoner. And 
We also know, as we read the other prison epistles, what Paul is like when he's in prison. I mean, what is he like when he's in prison? We learn in the book of Philippians, what does he do? He's preaching the gospel to the guards. He's preaching the gospel to other inmates. He's singing, right? This is what Paul does when he's in prison. And so he doesn't call himself a prisoner of Rome, prisoner of the Roman Empire. He calls himself a prisoner of Christ Jesus. So you can imagine if you're Philemon, you're opening up this book and Paul introduces himself as a prisoner of Christ Jesus, you're like, yeah, get it, man. Like, you, you, no matter the circumstances, you're on mission, right? At least that's how we should read it as we read it now and we understand the life of Paul, what he's like as a prisoner in Rome. He's, he's still on mission. His purpose has not changed, though his circumstances have, right? So what I think is that as Paul is reminding Philemon of who he is and who God is and and that he has a shared faith with other believers, he's also reminding him, not only do we have a shared faith, but we have a shared mission. We have a shared purpose. And whether or not he's doing that, he he could be, I I tend to think he's at least trying to to get that into um, Philemon's mind right as he reads through the letter. Whether or not he's doing that, we do know that in John chapter 17, Christ says to the Father that they may all be one just as you. Father are in me and I in you. That they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them. That they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me. That they may become perfectly one. And why is that? so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. So why pursue unity? Why why do we love fellowship? Why do we love being together? Because we're all in this together. We're on mission together. Um, So not only should we forgive because we have a shared faith in the gospel, but we also have a shared mission. And how dare we allow conflicts among us to get in the way of that mission being carried out Um, So not only should we consider the character of God and our identity in light of that character that we have been forgiven and that we have a shared faith, but consider the lost um, as we choose to forgive one another. What do they see? Do they see a people that are willing to love and forgive no matter the circumstances? Or do they see a people who are bitter, who talk about one another behind their backs? Consider the lost as well. So why forgive as we sum up today? Number one, because God is a forgiving God. Number two, because we have been forgiven. Number three, because of our shared faith in the gospel and our shared mission to make Christ known to the nations. We're gonna close in prayer now. I'm gonna ask the praise team to come on up.